Welcome to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast, a complimentary resource for those on the road to recovery. I'm Mickey Trescott, a nutritional therapy practitioner living well with autoimmune disease in Oregon. I've got both Hashimoto's and celiac disease. And I'm Angie Alt, a certified health coach and nutritional therapy consultant, also living well with autoimmune disease in Maryland. I have endometriosis, lichen sclerosis, and celiac disease. After recovering our health by combining the best of conventional medicine with effective and natural dietary and lifestyle interventions, Mickey and I started blogging at autoimmune-paleo.com, where our collective mission is seeking wellness and building community. This podcast is sponsored by the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, our co-authored guide to living well with chronic illness. We saw the need for a comprehensive resource that goes beyond nutrition to connect savvy patients just like you to the resources they need to achieve vibrant health. Through the use of self-assessments, checklists, handy guides, and templates, you get to experience the joy of discovery, finding out which areas to prioritize on your healing journey. Pick up a copy wherever books are sold. A quick disclaimer, the content in this podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On to the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. So today we're going to talk about movement. Our ancestors spent most of their time on their feet, going about the daily tasks that afforded them food and shelter. While civilization has brought about radical changes that have made an incredible impact on the way that we live, the extent to which these things have enabled us to be physically inactive is causing disastrous consequences in our health. The human body is designed to move. Plato says it best, lack of activity destroys the good condition of every human being, while movement and methodical physical exercise save it. Today, Angie and I are going to chat about our personal experience with exercise and movement on our journeys. How are you doing today, Angie? I'm good. I'm excited to chat with everybody about this. Well, let's start out by talking a little bit about what it was like to realize that we were losing the ability to move the way that we wanted to due to our autoimmune illnesses. Yeah, so for me, this was kind of scary, actually. You know, being able to move enough wasn't always a struggle for me. Prior to developing autoimmune disease, I enjoyed hiking and even longer, more serious backpacking trips quite a bit. It was kind of my main thing that I loved to do for physical exercise. But As I got more and more malnourished with celiac disease, which was at that time still undiagnosed, I didn't know that's what was happening. I just had less and less of an ability to move like I wanted to. I just couldn't do it without feeling like breathless and lightheaded and and I would get very shaky only like 10 or 15 minutes into a workout of any kind like I remember once while we were still living in West Africa we were doing a yoga routine with our friends in our living room and I couldn't even get through the yoga routine because I was just shaking and really unable to maintain the exercise because I basically just didn't have any reserve. I burned through it already. Um, I remember my husband would even like encourage me to eat energy bars, not only following a workout, but before the workout so that I could even get through any kind of physical activity we were doing. So it was, it was 
you know, it was scary for me. Yeah. I, I thought like something is wrong here, but I didn't know what it was. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, like and at the time I was only in my like late 20s, early 30s. I thought I should be in great shape, but I can't maintain the simplest stuff. It's interesting, Angie, because I think a lot of us hear this messaging that things like yoga are like, oh, wow, that's like way easy. And like, you know, everyone can do that. But it's really frustrating when you try to do something that's supposedly like the gentlest workout and you can't even do that. Right. I remember when, you know, that that scene that I was describing with the yoga, I remember I felt so embarrassed. I was really ashamed of myself that I couldn't keep up with this supposedly really gentle routine with our friends. You know, I didn't realize that it was because I was sick, yeah. you know. So how about you, Mickey? What was it like as you realized yeah, you know, the first one of the first things that I noticed, like right before my diagnosis, as far as like my energy levels. So before I was diagnosed, I was a very active person. I lived uh, in the middle of Seattle. I rode a bike everywhere. We didn't have a car. I, I loved commuting by my bike. I loved carrying everything in a backpack. Uh, and we also had a gym membership and I would do classes and I would run in addition to riding my bike. So I, I was very active. And we moved from one part of town to another part of town. And those of you that know Seattle know that it's very hilly and we moved to a part of town where there was this really big hill that I needed to go up and down to get to work. And it was about eight blocks up and eight blocks down. So since I had to make that commute every day, I knew how it felt to go up this hill. And I thought, oh, once, you know, I have a, a couple weeks or a few weeks, I'll, I'll get used to it. I'll be able to ride up this hill because in the beginning I, I had to walk my bike the last few blocks. But then what happened over time was I actually got worse at it. So I started being able to ride, you know, within three blocks of the top and then four blocks and then five blocks. And then I was like telling my husband, hey, I think something's wrong with my bike because I'm getting weaker the more I try to ride this hill. And that's not the way it works. I'm supposed to be getting stronger. So he took my bike apart and he repacked the bearings and, you know, he inspected the whole thing and he said, no, you know, nothing's wrong with your bike. So I tried again and, you know, I couldn't get up the hill. And I asked him again, I was like, really, like there has to be something wrong with my bike because I can't get up the hill. And eventually, you know, a few months later, I was diagnosed with celiac disease and, you know, my doctor told me that I had a lot of muscle wasting and that was the reason why I couldn't be as physically active. So that was a big reality check for me. Yeah, that's interesting that you say about the muscle wasting and everything. That was really scary for me. You know, I remember sitting on my bathroom floor. I had just gotten done shaving my legs. And so I was really noticing my legs, right? And I thought, oh my God, I'm not only like losing weight, my muscle mass is like shrinking. I could tell that it, there was something wrong there and it was awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I had been biking for so long and I, and I was very sure of my physical capability of like what parts of town I could ride to and how long it would take me to get there. And there was the six months before I was diagnosed where it was kind of crapshoot. Like if I didn't ride my bike in a couple of days, yeah, I could take a big long ride across town really fast. But every single day, my body just started going, nope, no, nope, I, I can't do that. Like, don't do that to me. Mm -hmm. 
it just really put its foot down and said, I, I can't do this. And, you know, I, I didn't know enough back then to know not to push through those warning signals. Back then, I just went, oh, weird. Like, okay, I'll just try harder, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you know, there's like a lot of reasons that people can overdo it with moving too much. And, and that's the trick in autoimmune disease, right? Trying to have the balance between overdoing it and underdoing it, trying to have, you know, be at the right sweet spot. And it sounds like prior to your diagnosis, you were really on the too much side of things. And there's a lot of reasons for that. What, what do you think was kind of fueling that for you? Yeah, I think the biggest reason why I was obsessed with exercise was just um, I didn't have any other way to manage stress. So it was a very socially accepted way for me to deal with my anxiety and my stress and also feel like I was doing something good for my body. So I would, you know, we did the whole no car bike thing But I also took it a level further where we had a gym membership and I would take spinning classes. It's like, why did I need to do that? You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would take yoga classes too. I would also run in addition to biking. I've always had these phases where I fantasized about running a marathon, doing a triathlon, and there was something about pushing myself to the limit. It was like, you know, this cardio obsession and exercise addiction, I definitely experienced it because I'm not an athlete. I wasn't competing in anything. I had no reason to be pushing myself that hard other than I think I was just trying to avoid other things in my life that I needed to deal with. And it was something to do and a way to manage my stress, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like since then that you've developed a wider range of stress management tools that help you kind of keep that in better balance? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's completely different now. And what's interesting to me is that movement is a way can be an appropriate way to manage stress. But the way that I did it prior to my diagnosis, it was just making everything worse, you know. Mm -hmm. So so now I understand, you know, there's a lot different ways to move that are not so stressful in the body. And the only way that I knew was like this crank it to 11. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to move gently. Yeah. So on the, the other end of the spectrum, you know, moving too much isn't the only problem. And actually uh, a lot of people are faced with moving too little. So, um, there's a lot of reasons why someone wouldn't be able to move as much. And, uh, what's your experience with that, Angie? Well, so, you know, we wrote about this in the book and folks can take a look, but you know, there's kind of the common barriers, which, you know, let's be honest, common barriers are kind of more like excuses. You know, there are things like, I don't have time, I'm bored. um, You know, I don't have a partner, the weather's bad, you know, I work a desk job, things like that. But then there's like the more complex barriers that are often real issues for folks with autoimmune disease, things like pain, injury, and fatigue, um, not knowing what's the right intensity level to work out at. And so they're they're constantly stopping because they're work, trying to work out too hard, having some internal beliefs, fears, or shame kind of around their ability level, and then also like a sense of overwhelm about where to even start. For me, on the moving too little side of things, it was really about fatigue. 
Um, you know, like I described earlier, I got to this point where I just couldn't, you know, you were saying how you didn't listen to your body signal and you would push through and like crank it to 11. Like I just couldn't even get there. I couldn't even make my body do that. I, you know, the fatigue was just too much. And there was a lot of pain. I had a lot of pain in my chest. Um, I had a lot of pain in my joints. Um, now, if I experience even a little twinge of that pain, I'm shocked that I was living with it and that I was trying to move at all with it. And then I think probably there was some internal beliefs. You know, I described that feeling of being like ashamed or embarrassed that I couldn't keep up with my friends who were, you know, the same age as me and probably overwhelmed. Um, I know I'm still struggling with overwhelm, to be honest. It's hard for me to figure out exactly where to start to try to rebuild my physical fitness. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's really good to kind of acknowledge your tendency. And I think it's handy that both of us are a little bit on the opposite ends of the spectrum. But I definitely still tend towards overdoing it when I start to get into exercising again I find myself kind of going there and I think it sounds like you can fall into these um excuses again Angie you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think that's just our nature you know whatever draws us to being the way that we are you know mm -hmm. we're kind of always going to have that going in the background you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. yep all of the steps in the autoimmune wellness journey are things that, you know, for certain people, certain steps might take years to perfect, right? Like it takes time to, to kind of deal with all these things and dial in the right, the right rhythm. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could describe exactly what your exercise routine looked like pre-autoimmune diagnosis. So we kind of get the idea that it was pretty intense, but what did it look like? So I had weeks where I would bike over 100 miles a week which, you know, when I lived in California, I commuted a lot further of a distance and I biked a lot more for recreation than I did when I lived in Seattle. But when I lived in Seattle, it was probably half that, but a lot more really hilly terrain and stuff. So I was on the bike a lot. I was running or going to the gym or going to yoga maybe two or three times a week. And so I was doing a lot, a lot of, you know, multiple exercises per day. It was a lot of intensity, but something that I would do that I find really interesting now is that I could never keep up a consistent routine at the level that I thought was right. So say that was commuting to work on my bike five days a week and then three additional workouts or four additional workouts. That's usually what I would strive for. I would do that for like two or three weeks and then I would crash and not be able to work out at all for a week and have to take the bus to work. Mm -hmm. And then I would do it for like another two or three weeks and crash. And I realized now it was just my adrenals going like, hey, like you can't do this. You can't they do this. They were like sputtering to a stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were like, I couldn't wake up in the morning. And I mean, I had all kinds of other issues because of sleep and insomnia and waking up at four in the morning to work at my coffee shop job, you know, so it, it was kind of a, I was very hard on my body at this period of time, but it was just a lot all the time. And, and anytime I had any extra energy, I was trying to funnel it into working out. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Mickey, but I think um, I, I see this actually with my clients a lot with my coaching clients. I'll see folks who have really pushed it to the max and their autoimmune disease really ramps up um, as their adrenals kind of give out mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. I was never doing the type of exercise that 
is really like short duration and uh, like heavy weights and you're like building a lot of muscle, I was just really into the cardio. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because it's so numbing. You do it for so long, you get so tired and in a way that's just like whole body, your mind is tired. And I just like craved that feeling. Mm -hmm. So pre autoimmune diagnosis, I was, I was much more active than I was once I really got sick, but I was still not probably as active as I needed to be. It was something that I always kind of struggled with a little bit, you know, that um, lack of energy to keep going. But, you know, like I said, I liked to um, backpack and, and hike. And that was kind of my main thing, you know, even if it meant like hiking through the mountains at altitude and, and really pushing it that way. 30 pounds on your back, whatever, like that felt good. It felt rewarding. Um, I really liked connecting with nature and other people and doing that. So that is kind of what my routines looked like. Hmm. So what does your exercise routine look like now? It is still really limited. This is an area that I'm still really struggling with. You know, I mostly focus on walking during, you know, like the spring, summer and fall, I usually have a daily walking routine that can really fall off in the winter and I don't do as much as I need to. And, you know, Mickey, we both work a lot and I let work get in the way of moving as much as I need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. But that's what it looks like. You know, it's a lot of uh, walking, gentle walking. Mm. What's yours look like right now? So, you know, it's gone through a lot of phases since I've been sick. There was a long time when I wasn't able to do anything and walking was the thing that kind of got me back on track. But now my primary movement is walking too, Angie. So I don't think there's anything to be ashamed about that, you know, you haven't done enough. We wrote this in our book and I think it's hard for us to even accept that that is an acceptable exercise. Our culture really likes to tell us that we need to be sweating profusely and we need to be doing something that's like really strenuous and hard to be exercise. But really, walking is better than intense exercise in a lot of ways. So I focus on walking as my primary source of exercise too. You know, I get bored pretty easily. So I have to switch things up. Like, You know, I go through seasons where I ride horses. Last summer, I was riding every day. Uh, I haven't ridden in six months. So I go through phases where I do some yoga um, or qigong. And I like to switch it up. I've been feeling pretty good recently. So I've actually been experimenting with some at-home body weight strength workouts that are no longer than 15 minutes no big weights. I'm not doing, you know, getting all crazy or CrossFit style or anything. They're very gentle. They're meant for people with chronic illness. And I've been really enjoying that. But, you know, I find that it is because of the history, it is easy for me to do way too much. And then I'm kind of right back where I started. So walking is the primary thing that I do every day. I try to do it rain or shine. Obviously in the winter, it's harder, but if I can add some other stuff in, that really helps me feel great. But I try not to feel too bad about it if I don't get there, you know? Yeah, actually, you know, I should have clarified that. I definitely think that a walking routine is a great and adequate form of exercise for anybody with autoimmune disease. My only point was I should probably be figuring out what to do to supplement my movement in the winter months. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should talk about that a little bit more, Mickey. Maybe we should dive into why we love walking so much for autoimmune peeps. 
Well, walking, it's like the best of everything, right? It's easy. And for anyone listening that's pretty debilitated, you might be thinking, walking is not easy. I can't even do this. Like, I was there. And when I started walking, when I started leaving my house, I could only walk a block. But what's amazing about walking is that you can do that little and you can get outside, you can get some fresh air, you can get a little bit of movement, and then you can scale it. So I remember, you know, my old neighborhood in Seattle, when I made my recovery, I had all of these different routes that varied from a half mile to three miles. And some of them had little hills in them and some of them were completely flat. And some days I would go outside and I would only go around the block, but I went outside every single day. And the beautiful thing about walking is you can do that. It's perfectly scalable. It's super easy. And if you don't feel great, you can just do a tiny little thing and you know, you're still getting that movement, that fresh air, um, that connection with nature, that vitamin D. I just, I get super excited when I think about it because it made, it brought me so much joy in that point in my illness where I really couldn't do almost anything. And it felt like such an accomplishment when I was able to like walk one mile, you know? Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember just like a few months after I was diagnosed, we were living in the San Francisco Bay Area and we lived on this block that was kind of a funny shape. It was a little bit smaller than a normal city block, but I remember getting out, I would get out and I would walk around that block and I would feel like, okay, I did it. I did it today. I got around the block, you know? And then when I got to the point that I could walk a little bit further, there was this um, Afghan store in our neighborhood. It was, it was run by some Afghani people. And if I could walk to that store with my daughter, I would feel like, wow, that's awesome. And that was like a mile. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you guys don't have to feel like you need to compare yourself to anyone else's walking routine. Like now, I'll be honest, I walk at least three miles a day. And a few years ago, I would have told you that you're crazy if you had told me that that's what I would have been doing. You know, I I remembered running three miles. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I I used to be able to run six or seven miles or whatever. Now I can't even walk one. But in time, you can scale it up. And it's been years of walking and that daily walking, your body gets used to it. And as long as it's within your ability to recover and cope, which in the beginning, walking can be something that actually is pretty stressful to your body if you're not used to exercising. So you build those muscles and whatever, you know, ground you're walking on, you get used to it. So it's easier if you're on a path or dirt, but you know, road is next from that as far as hardness and then cement is actually the hardest. So when I lived in the city, I remember I would get a lot more joint pain, a lot more knee pain, um, especially walking on the sidewalks. But now that I live out in the country and I walk on the road, I find that I can actually walk a lot further. And some of our roads are even dirt and gravel. So yeah, there's just a lot of options that you can use. And it's super cheap. I mean, all you need is a pair of shoes. Right. That's one of my uh, favorite benefits of walking for folks, right? Like you really don't need any money to get started on it. You don't need a fancy trainer. You don't need a gym membership. It's just so simple, but it's really profound and effective. And it's like, it's going back to our like ancestral roots, right? Like this is the primary form of movement since the beginning of our species. And I actually like walking in inclement weather. 
Uh, I, I don't love it when it's incredibly windy or when it's raining really hard, but I live in the Pacific Northwest and it rains 50% of the time. Most of the time, it's like drizzling. So I've invested in some pretty good layerable outdoor gear that washes well. So if I go out on a walk and I bundle up, I have right by my door, I have my hat, I have my gloves. Uh, I have a few different options, all waterproof, and then I go out and usually I get really warm while I'm walking, So, but I don't like being cold. So I start out really bundled up and then I take off my layers as I'm walking. And since they're all waterproof, it doesn't matter if I get wet. And I actually find that, you know, I have Hashimoto, so being cold is a big issue for me. And that was a big barrier to movement, especially when it's cold, you know, 30s, 40s outside, who wants to go out there? But I actually find that the days that I go outside and and move and do a walk and get my blood moving, even when it's cold outside, um, as long as I really bundle up, A, I stay super warm, and B, when I come back in my house, I'm really warm because my body has been exposed to those elements, and I actually have an easier time staying warm throughout the day in my house. Right, right. So you kind of brought up something important. And, um, you know, in future podcasts, we're going to be talking about this a little more in depth. But another great thing about walking, right, is that we can use it to connect with other people and also importantly with nature. So for me, you know, once I kind of developed my walking routine, one of the things that I started to really be in touch with was the change of the seasons because, you know, now we live in the D.C. area. The change of the seasons are very pronounced here. Um, You know, spring is really clear. Summer is very obvious. You know, as we go into the fall, it's just really beautiful with the foliage. And taking the time to notice that and connect in nature while I was also, you know, getting my movement in, it was great to combine those two things. Yeah, walking outside is so much better than walking inside. And we know that, you know, not everyone has access to an outdoor area that, you know, you can actually walk in. But when I lived in Seattle, I walked in my neighborhood and it it was fine. There are plenty of trees in the neighborhood. There are usually parks within walking distance, you know, so most everyone should be able to find somewhere that they can actually do a little walking and get that connection with nature because it's super important. Right. And with other people too. I mean, if, if you don't have a walking buddy, that's fine. Go out and, you know, spend some time just kind of reflecting and and using it as a nice chill moment in your day. But if you can do it with other people, even better, you know, every time we work together, we stop during our day and go for walks, right, Mickey? Oh yeah. And, and those are the times that I feel, I feel really creative. I feel really Mm -hmm. empowered. I, I feel great. You know, my mind is in a really good place when I'm walking and it is because you're getting all of these elements, you know, you're moving your body, which for a lot of people just kind of, it, it gets your blood flowing, you know, you start creatively thinking, you're managing your stress. Um, the connection is amazing to nature and to people. Um, so yeah, we could we could go on and on and on. But we, we had some walking. of our best ideas for this book out on walks, didn't we? Totally. <laughs> a lot of times I'll be working on something in the office and then I'll go for a walk and I will just solve my problem. Like, you know, for me, it's almost like, you know, people get ideas when they're falling asleep or in the shower or something. Walking is kind of like my happy place where my my brain just kind of goes into that creative mode and it feels really good. Yeah, mine too. 
Mine too. I think that's why I loved uh, hiking and backpacking so much pre-diagnosis. Uh, so maybe we can talk about, maybe we can kind of switch up gears a little bit and we can talk really quickly with folks about how we know when we're doing too much or too little now. How do we like tune into those signs now? Yeah, that, that's kind of the, you know, the million dollar question is <laughs> like, okay, so we've regained our health to a certain point and we feel good and we have an abundance of energy. And at this point, you know, when you start feeling better, usually then you start loading your plate with more stuff, some more responsibilities at home, maybe going back to work, that kind of thing. And finding out where to tip the balance with exercise is kind of a hard question. And Exercise is really something that I feel we should be doing when we have some extra, but it's hard because sometimes you can generate energy by exercising. For instance, you know, walking is one of those great things where sometimes when I'm feeling a little tired and I go on a walk, I feel energized. Um, it's a really great sign when you feel that way about an exercise. So a big red flag is every time I do X, I feel really tired and I have to take a nap or I can't finish the things that I can normally do with the rest of my day. Um, those are big red flags, wouldn't you say, Angie? Yeah, definitely. So like when I um, think about this for myself or when I talk to my clients about it, the big question I ask is, after you finish your movement routine, do you feel restored and great or do you feel depleted? Yeah, and, and that's a really hard question because I think we're taught, right, that we need to feel depleted. We need to work out super hard. And that's not the case. You know, exercise should be pretty restorative to us. So, you know, obviously pain and soreness is a really big sign that you're doing too much. I think actually pain and soreness can be a good sign for the folks that are doing too little as well. I know definitely when I'm not getting enough movement in by the end of the day, I feel like a crooked old lady, you know? Yeah. So yeah. folks need to think about, you know, both sides of the spectrum there. Yeah. And when you find yourself in that sweet spot, uh, it's easier to stay there. So it's hard when you're not doing any movement. It's hard to make that leap and say, oh, okay, if maybe just starting a little bit of walking or a little bit of stretching, maybe that'll make me feel better because usually the first one or two times you do something, you're going to have more of a negative feedback loop than when you your body kind of adapts to that and you start doing it. But as long as you don't overdo it, you can find that that middle spot where you, you have just enough movement to kind of, you know, feel like you're greasing everything up and getting your blood flowing and feel good, but not enough that you're actually then causing a stress response, which will cause you to have a setback. Right, right. So there's a little homework for you guys. You can check out the Where Are You on the Movement Spectrum self-test. It's a test to determine how high of a priority troubleshooting movement is to your healing journey. You can find that in the book. Um, and we hope today was helpful for you guys, a little bit you know, of insight into how other autoimmuners are handling the movement part of the journey. Hopefully you found the information helpful in fine-tuning your body's movement needs and discovered some ideas for getting active. If you're looking for a start, we'd encourage you to get out today, even if for a few minutes, to enjoy a walk. It's a surprisingly simple and empowering step on the autoimmune wellness journey. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye.
Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. We're honored to have you as a listener, and we hope that you've gained some useful information. You can learn more about the topic we explored today. It's covered in detail in our book, The Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, along with handy self-assessments, checklists, and other useful resources to put your plan into action. Pick up a copy today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review in iTunes as this helps others find us. You can also connect with us through our blog, autoimmune-paleo.com, and with the community by using the hashtag autoimmunewellness.